0: This is True Western. Mysteries don't only relate to true crime. Hospitals have their mysteries too, and we know where to find them here at Western Health. Different kinds of mysteries, but all just as intriguing. I'm Cathy Somerville. This is the story of the work of a team of experts, and it features the Southern Ocean, a pram, a costume designer, 11 days of genius and hard work and an intensive care nurse with 33 years experience who becomes a suspected COVID patient and ends up playing a key role. Today we're following the trail of an intensive care doctor's response to how to safely care for critically ill COVID patients the clock was ticking a solution was needed and dr forbes mcgain began his work
1: when the covid-19 pandemic really started to ramp up in february of
2: 2020 we are there was
1: a lot of there was a call to arms in a sense of people to start to prepare for, for that in intensive care and beyond but i also realized fairly quickly that there were some gaps uh, in how we might be able to treat patients. So although some uh, negative pressure rooms are available, which would provide the best care for patients uh, who pre- presumed or actually had COVID-19, we don't have many negative pressure rooms uh, in hospitals. Be, and so what do we do about that when we're trying to stop staff getting super infected uh, from patients Or, how do we provide good care to patients with non invasive ventilation uh, and high flow oxygen uh, masks when they're actually potentially problematic to spreading the the COVID 19? And so, it was actually um, because of my interactions with engineers for other, as part of my PhD.
0: In
1: sustainability issues? Yeah, sustainability Um, with uh, infrastructure engineers and chemical engineers and other groups. I reached out early to them and said, we need something that's more focused on the patient to try and provide care to them as well as trying to reduce the risk of spread of COVID-19 to staff. Uh, what, What can we do together? Part of it was actually a thought when I was running around the park and thinking about prams and hoods, and you know, I used to do that with my daughter uh, and son, and, and we came up with an idea that was a pram hood uh, that would basically go over the patient and uh, provide a, not a negative pressure room, but at least a safe cocoon, in the sense, to, to keep the patient cared for, but also protecting staff, particularly nurses, who were located close to the patient uh, for care. Day one, you could say, a negative day one, would have been when just thinking about different possibilities. Uh, and then day one of this project was when I was making phone calls to uh, a few different folk within engineering to say, what can we What can we do here? Uh, I've got some ideas, but I'd like to meet someone. And so then it was a matter of Zooming because we weren't allowed to physically meet some of these people who were, uh, and to, to move on from there.
0: What was the reaction you got from them in the first instance? Very,
1: very supportive, yeah. Yeah. So a lot of it was uh, many hours, particularly thinking about uh, the whole process and, and how to do it better and how what we're going to do tomorrow and how I was going to interact with various people, etc.
0: Were you concerned you would miss something?
1: Oh, I think, yeah, all along. Um, you, you worry that uh, you haven't quite done things as well as you could have, that the experiments are not running ideally. Uh, those things are always going through your mind.
0: Do you also worry that it could be a device that would worsen things
1: so one of the worries um you you do you you think about um okay so we've got a device that draws uh the bad air in a sense through past because it's coming from the patient and then out the back and you've got to make sure that the filter is really is a super duper filter that's as good as a ventilator's filter all those sorts of things in the background like if the fan fails you know there are many things that you think about that Uh, are important in the process, how we clean the hood, those sorts of things, they're they're all part of the process.
0: What were some of the biggest hurdles, biggest individual difficulties in doing
1: this? Yeah, I I think there's a number of difficulties there. Um, self-doubt might be one of them. Uh, <laughs> uh, I have a lot of that but Time
0: you know, might be Time's
1: one. another one. Um, I, I think also there's a lot of things you have to work through. Um, this has to go through the proper ethics uh, committee process. That was quite, uh, that was hundreds of hours.
0: Um, what were some of the things that you did in order to manage the pressures on your time? Were you working, staying no, I at the office? I, I, didn't, I didn't manage it at
1: all well. <laughs> Very poorly.
0: Do you think that these collaborations will be able to happen in future for other range of needs as well?
1: Oh, we've got other ideas, yeah. Not just in relation right to COVID. I think it's, yeah, I, I think it's wonderful. I, I just love, I love collaborating. I really, You you can go along and do your job as a normal job, but then there's a cherry on the top that will actually be not just exciting and interesting and wonderful for you and for your collaborators, but it actually will be really important longer term. Uh, for patients and the ongoing society. I think I think this sort of thing is just fantastic. I think there's a real hidden um, value in our sort of work in that it's giving a positive vibe. Um, uh, I think it's really important that people feel that others care about them and they're trying to do things. I think that's what a lot of this hood is, uh, that it's actually showing that other people care about the, the staff as well as trying to improve patient care.
0: Yeah, it's fantastic.
1: I, I think that it's somewhat easier in somewhere like intensive care where you're thinking about these things anyway, to begin with. And so it's just a natural extension for me to to move a little bit beyond that. Well, I'm in the intensive care unit. I'm seeing this patient. I'm thinking they've got this device or they don't have it. Why not? Can we add in the non-invasive? No, we can't because we don't have negative pressure room. So, okay, what can we do about this? How can we change this? That, that's how it all starts. Of course, there's a lot of situations where things don't go anywhere because they're Know, foolish or they don't work or the, the nurses will tell you that's silly. You know, that's all those sorts of things, which is really important. People have to be able to So, to so who've
0: been the most blunt along the way? <laughs> <laughs> this might be a hint.
1: Uh, yeah. No, I think the, the ICU idea. nurses are great. <laughs> the ICU nurses are great because uh, they, they, t- they told me straight away, this is a fantastic idea. You know? um, well, that was promising. Uh, and so that's that's right. That's why I continued. <laughs> um, but on the other hand, you'd have other situations where, you know, we don't need to go through the details, but other ones where, where it didn't work. And they would tell you straight away, that's not going to work because of this reason. Oh, yeah, of course. Okay, I didn't think of that.
0: So you say that the nurses in ICU were who were a tough bunch to to influence. Never. I believe that the ICU nurses are a pretty (laughs) tough bunch to influence. They're the best. (laughs) Yeah, surely, for sure. So what were the kind of things you must have been really genuinely pleased when they were
1: responding positively? I think so. I think, as you said, though, there were things that, that need and perhaps still need to be, you know, just generally, um, gently tinkered with um, to make it better because there's always you can make something better. So, uh, but as long as you've got, you bring in the device and you show it to them and then they go, well, okay, this is a good idea. Um, we like this. And so that's, uh, that, that's really important.
0: How quickly did they pick the faults?
1: Oh, Nanoseconds. No, um, so it was uh, it was very rapidly, but that's okay. That's that's, that's all great. part of the process. Yeah.
0: That's that's really important. Lolo Carstens is one of those intensive care nurses who could pick a fault in this device
3: in a nanosecond. I didn't feel claustrophobic. I I, I had this bubble around me. I felt safe. And she's since had the opportunity to do
0: just that. Leloma has worked as an intensive care nurse for 33 years, first for many years in South Africa and then in Australia, where she is in fact an intensive care nurse in the ICU at Sunshine Hospital, where this device originated. Experiencing severe asthma and suspected COVID on four occasions, she's been admitted to Sunshine Hospital in the last seven weeks. The first occasion she had to be intubated and she's since been able to trial the hood and feels it's been of great benefit to her.
3: From a patient's point of view, um, it definitely relieved my stress levels a lot. And I felt I, I, I felt that I was, because there's always the concern, I mean, yeah, as, in, uh, as part of the, your, the staff that, you know, you don't want to infect them and you think so obviously you have to go use the do the proper go through the proper steps of if you need this you've got to go into the negative pressure room to get intubated and all that kind of thing but or if you need BiPAP um, but having the hood if I needed BiPAP I could have had it under the hood if I needed the high floor I could have had it under the hood and so that was very reassuring for me in this
0: episode you'll hear references to BiPAP and high flow. These are oxygen therapies that can help a patient before there's a need for them to go onto a ventilator. You are an intensive care nurse here at Sunshine Hospital and you have been treating some COVID patients. So I guess you see very clearly limitations if they can't be in bit of
3: pressure room. Um, and a typical example is a patient that we had um, who co- probably could have been extubated a lot earlier but because there was all these concerns about because the patient was covered, um, I think all that was delayed. There was a lot of delay in what to do because everyone was concerned about the aerosol generating uh, like that's Are you what...
0: concerned about the risk to the
3: staff. To the staff, yes, yes. I think with the hood, if it was there at that time, all that would have been a lot easier and a lot a lot less stressful for the staff. Um, looking after COVID patients is very stressful, I, I, I feel. And I think I think a lot of the time you come to work and there's always that that stress level there. I now feel that I'm exposed. Like if, if I get exposed to it or if I get COVID, I have this feeling that I, I probably will get very, very sick, especially just getting so sick just with asthma. I think if I had to be exposed to COVID, um, and that's that's that is my biggest fear now. As I said I was excited from the very beginning when I saw this, because I was like, this is amazing for what's going on now. This this is like a life changer. And it definitely is, I still feel. I feel it 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 makes management of the COVID patient so much easier because I think a lot of the another thing is that it would probably prevent patients from having to be unnecessarily intubated because that's a whole nother thing on its own you know so if you can manage your patient under the tent with and get away with just maybe BiPAP and like high flow like like what I did I mean I didn't have I didn't, you didn't reach have your yes yeah. Um, it saves the thing because, I mean, people are so scared with the aerosol generating thing. So I know the thing is like, look, just take them and incubate them because then it's safer to nurse them. I was actually sitting thinking, because um, I, I did take, I asked someone to take a picture of, of me in the hood. And I said, I'm going to send this to my my group of ICU friends and say, I, I've, I've had the experience of the hood. And this is amazing. Like if this thing gets passed, this is something that would benefit you guys. I mean... It, it looks so simple and it's so effective. I mean, to come up with something like that, you'd, you'd have to be really brainy. So yes, I have a, I have a lot of admiration for Dr. Forbes. He's, um, he's, an, he's an excellent doctor. To come up with something like that, that's amazing. So um, I said, this is what one of the doctors has like invented a thing for our unit. And I said, can you imagine if like this is successful, it will be amazing for the rest of the world not just for Australia.
4: You might hear some noise in the background. That's my children uh, who are just with me during lockdown.
0: This is Professor Jason Monty, who heads up the Department of Mechanical Engineering at the University of Melbourne. He is the co-lead on the development of this device.
4: Yeah, well, I'm I'm extremely proud of the team uh, at Melbourne Uni. That have worked tirelessly is not their job. Um, they're not. It's it's uh, out of their general area of expertise. The director of expertise. So we've really had to pivot um, and and do something that we're not used to doing and something fast uh, and think about things like patient comfort and um, the interaction of people with devices that we don't usually deal with. Um, these kind of considerations, I think, often take years to to get right. Um, as a, if you're a design group, so we've done pretty well, I think, as a team. It's been been a pretty awesome experience. But then also, working with the team at Western Health has been incredible.
0: So, Jason, are you feeling quite conscious that these are devices that could help contribute to the saving of lives?
4: Um, I was I was very conscious of this when we first went into the hospitals. Initially, you get a call like this, and and the world was going crazy, and you just want to help um, in the way you can. So we set about building something, but it wasn't until we got into the hospital on that first day, which I think was something like the 27th or 28th of March, and just seeing being in the hospital and seeing the concern among the workers. Um, and the, the feeling, the tension at the hospital, it, it, and and then the gratitude when we brought something in. We learned a lot about how, how our kind of knowledge can help, um, how, how the things that we can build can help, um, and also a lot about how, not just not just transmission of virus works in a hospital, but also the human side of it. So how healthcare workers will respond, what are the risks to healthcare workers what are the psychological effects of the threat um, and, and the, the knowledge that this kind of device can actually help with those things. Um, it's a team of people with a whole bunch of expertise that have previously very little experience or interaction with either medical technologies or the hospital environment. Um, I've been saying to people, I think the only time I've been into a hospital is for the birth of my children. Um, So to go in to an ICU ward and see how it works for the first time during COVID is quite shocking. My team and I are wind tunnel aerodynamics experts. Um, So we are used to working with our hands and building things, building engineering devices, um, but mostly it's for wind tunnel experimentation. So it's a very, very specific thing that we do. Um, but however, the expertise that we have is in, is the technical expertise is in fluid flow and how uh, aerosols can move around a room. So for us to look at the problem of somebody coughing or sneezing or uh, perhaps a non-invasive ventilation procedure like nebulizer, for us to look at that problem and, and have a good understanding of what the airflow in the room or an airflow in a hood uh, might do is very easy.
0: What is the kind of work that you're normally doing when you're on the RV Investigator in the Antarctic or the Southern Ocean? Professor Jason Monty and some of his colleagues from the University of Melbourne and Australia's leading scientific organisation, CSIRO, conduct a lot of their research in the Southern Ocean and in the area near Antarctica on a ship called the RV Investigator where they face some pretty harsh conditions.
4: Yeah, so it, it's, it's a pretty harsh environment, um, even when it's not freezing cold, um, just being out on the ocean, trying to do very, very um, um, intricate and uh, highly accurate scientific experiment. Uh, aerosols come out of the ocean, so little droplets come out of the ocean, or particles come out of the ocean, and those are critical for creating clouds, which is, Really, really important for climate change. So, although it's a totally different environment, totally different case, um, completely different problem, still the fundamental thing is that aerosols come out of the ocean, or come out of a patient, and move around because of airflow, and that's what we study. The next day, we we sat down. It was like a a war room meeting in the morning, pretty early, and we just talk through exactly what we needed to achieve for the day, how we were going to get this thing together, and what we needed to get done by the end of the day. So it was all written on a whiteboard, the exact game plan for the day. And we just methodically worked through it. And every day after that, the next day, we, we finished in that day, we finished the prototype and took it to Footscray Hospital the next morning. But during the course of that day of building, I would say as an engineer, we got very lucky. Every decision we made, every design uh, attribute we chosen worked. There was no failures. Uh, some things took longer than we wanted, but nothing didn't work. So by the end of the day, we had a working prototype. Um, it was a pretty long day. So we finished about midnight. It was highly intense. So when you have a global pandemic, I guess it really sharpens your focus. Um we had a pretty clear vision of what we were trying to produce. And as I said, these guys are experts in in wind tunnels. So they could understand what we we're trying to do with the, with the airflow. They could also understand what was wrong with all the other devices that were being put up as possible solutions. So we knew straight away what we needed to achieve. And we just set about getting it done. After the first demonstration of the prototype at Footscray which as I said before there was extreme gratitude in the hospital and we could really feel that uh, what we were doing was worthwhile which was a huge boost to us because when we were building the first day we had no idea whether what we were doing was actually what the hospital wanted um, or whether they would like what we came up with Uh, so after that first demonstration we were really inspired. There's a lot of pride there it's being used, but I'm I'm not a medical person. So I've um, had no real connection with the virus and actually going into the ICU and seeing somebody with coronavirus under the hood was quite confronting, I have to say. Um,
0: brought it home to you how real the issue is.
4: Yeah, it really did. And you know, when, when you start thinking, you know, we don't need a lockdown or we don't need this or we don't, you know, when or you start to get, I shouldn't say that, when you start to get frustrated, I guess, um, you forget that there's actually people suffering. And when you see it firsthand, it makes you uh, a little bit uh, more respectful of some of the rules that we need to follow, I think.
0: In normal times, if we use that term, how long would all of this normally take in your estimation? What would the time span perhaps more typically be?
4: Yeah, so I think it would be 18 months minimum um, to get to this point where we are in a clinical trial, I would say 18 months.
0: That's amazing, 11 days compared with 18 months pretty much. Can you tell me about the connection between Rose and the university and yourself in fact?
4: So (laughs) we have a pretty close connection. Um, Rose Chong is the wife of Professor Min Chong. Professor Min Chong is an aerodynamicist and he was my PhD supervisor. Um, They're an unlikely couple, but um, uh, yeah, they've been married for almost 50 years now. And um, so I was well acquainted with the other side of his life outside of the university, which was costume, Well, his wife, who is a costume designer, who has uh, a pretty well-known shop in Gertrude Street in Melbourne.
0: One of the more unusual collaborators in this project was 74-year-old Rose Chong, one of Melbourne's most famous costume designers. Rose has had 40 frocking years, as she calls it, working in the costume design business, and her staff are known, lovingly, as the Chongettes. We're the market leaders in squirrels, she says. We make beautiful squirrels. But in this case, she was making the early prototypes of the pram hood.
2: It, it was also um, new, those first few weeks of the virus. I, I was actually honoured to have something meaningful to do instead of just sort of... Because at the moment, nobody wants costumes, naturally.
0: At the moment, we're making masks. Oh, fantastic. Who are you making the, ma- who are you making the masks for, us?
2: Well, just people who know about us, and I'm using bits of fabric that have been left over from our costume making. We've been here for 40 years, so we've got boxes of suitable fabric, and we've been um, turned to... In the beginning, I didn't want to do it because I thought it was going to be a, uh, all over by now.
0: I also read that your business, Rose Chong Costumiers, were experts in squirrels. Can you tell me about that? <laughs> we just, well, we just,
2: we've ended up, uh, they were squirrels that were for a, a commercial. And then at the end of the commercial, nobody quite knew what to do with them. So, yes, I've, I've maintained that we're the market leaders in squirrels. I'm absolutely honoured and thrilled to hear to hear about this. I mean, um, I, I suppose I thought I thought that it was held up with technical stuff, and then when we thought that the the virus had gone away, um, I thought, well, that, I'm glad it didn't need to be used. But um, I'm I was
0: honoured to be able to participate in all of this. How did so, Rose respond to the request? Did you speak to her yourself?
4: Yes, yes. Uh, so I went, uh, I went straight to Rose as soon as we decided that we had to outsource the hood, um, and she was very, very excited to do it for two reasons. <laughs> One, uh, she when I got to her house, it was down, so we weren't allowed to visit for um, for uh, just just as friends. So, when I went to visit, she was of course very happy to see somebody, but also she explained to me that in the last two weeks, that had thirty dollars of orders and with a wage bill of something like ten thousand dollars, so she was very happy to have some work to do um but also of course, very happy to help from having that experience of seeing the nurses uh, so worried and so grateful for what we're doing I think I would say that our focus was really on them through the whole thing. Um, it wasn't about the medical issue. It never has been. It's been more what can we do to stop, to, to reduce the anxiety and the concern in these healthcare workers who don't need that on top of everything else they have to deal with. The long hours, um, the, the threat of the virus, the actual virus itself, and dealing with patients and their families as well who we can't see them. Um, There's so many ways that this device, I think, helps reduce anxiety and concern, which I think long term is going to be one of the biggest fallouts of the whole pandemic.
5: There's been a lot of activity um, around uh, any types of research, anything that we think might make any uh, scary of a difference to patients or to staff. Um, this is actually trying to sort out the, the coalface of interaction between a patient with suspected or proven COVID and the staff that will be caring for them.
0: Sam Bates is the research manager for Western Health's intensive care research. She has spent hundreds of hours getting this device to a point where it can be trialled with patients. This time we're speaking with Sam in the intensive care unit at Sunshine Hospital using masks and face shields. So the voices are a little muffled. She's going to show us how the hood works.
5: I think uh, we're looking back to about the 23rd of March, I think is when um, Dr. Forbes McGain first sent a a phone call to the engineers at Melbourne University. So it took from the 23rd of March all the way through to the 19th of June to be able to get to that point where we could then start actually trialling this device on actual patients. If you have a a patient emergency and you need to access the patient quickly in a hurry, you simply just pull the plastic hood back out of the way, um, undo your wheel brakes and just push it back out of the way so the clinician can easily get to the patient's airway or or get to the patient in an emergency. It's not a completely enclosed or sealed oxygen tent that um, is sometimes used in other environments. It actually has room for airflow to come in under the back, around the sides of the patient, Um, and the hood can easily be opened at any time and will be opened periodically. Now what the engineers have done, you can hear that noise, it's an audible alarm. It's got a little uh, sensitive um, device inside there that's registering that the fan is switched on so that the blades of the motor are actually turning around. So they put uh, an alarm and it's got a little blue light that comes on to let the nursing staff know that the fan is in operation so the hood must be closed at the front. We still need to use correct PPE gear um, your personal protective equipment and we still need to follow all the, the rules of engagement and policies and procedures around all of that. But also there is a lack of negative pressure isolation rooms so this Almost creates a mobile negative pressure isolation environment, if you like, um, and the, you know, particularly for resource poor um, countries um, and other areas where COVID is just rapidly expanding, the potential to use something like this, where there isn't that negative pressure environment, is um, is quite good. It has great potential.
0: There are a lot of people with quite a bit of brain power working on getting this device together, some of them with very unusual areas of technical expertise. One of those people was Dr Rui Humphreys, who's an atmosphere and oceans expert from the CSIRO. He knows all about aerosol dynamics.
6: So, yeah, so my name is Rui Humphreys, I'm an aerosol scientist that um, is usually doing my projects out in the Southern Ocean on board this ship. Just, um, it's a very different environment working in a hospital compared to um, my usual day job. Aerosols can be lots of different things. Um, Some common ones are volcanic aerosols, um, dust whipped up from uh, deserts. Uh, Bushfire smoke is a a big one, which has obviously some big implications on um, human health. (coughs) And uh, the oceans are, are a big one too, so Um, sea salt um, is is quite a strong one Um, but more relevant to you guys is um, humans so um, humans although they're not a a, um, significant source in the environment um, they obviously are are quite important for um, disease transfer um, and indoor indoor aerosol transfer Um, So just um, a a quick point on the typical aerosol concentrations that you'd see in an urban environment and an indoor environment. Um, You're generally looking at about 2,000 to 20,000 particles per milliliter of air. Um, So that's that's quite a lot and it it varies quite a lot and quite quickly. Um, And we we could see that very easily. Um, Next slide, Forbes. If we look at the cleanest air in the world, so the remote Southern Ocean, um, the stuff that I'm used to measuring um, out on the ship, that's generally about 200 to 800 particles per milliliter. So that's, that's really um, it's always a magnitude cleaner um, than your urban environment. The the experiment that that um, Forbes and I were were basically involved uh, well do, doing for a few weeks was was seeing what the exposure was to a healthcare worker, which um, You can see in that diagram, and that that's basically where we put the aerosol inlet to to simulate that healthcare worker. Um, What the exposure to that healthcare worker is? Oh, there you go.
1: Got a nice uh, arrow there. Um, What the exposure to that healthcare worker is from a patient producing aerosol on the bed? The COVID nineteen clinical task force um, is uh, an Australia wide uh, national group that look at uh, how are we going to best treat people with COVID nineteen. Uh, And here's an example of where I think our study is is useful. Um, Essentially, the recommendation is that if you're using high flow nasal oxygen, uh, you really should be in an isolation room. Because they're saying that not recommended in shared wards, it's not recommended in inter-hospital transfer. So basically that wipes out most of, of Western health, apart from our negative pressure rooms, where you should be doing high flow nasal. Yes, it's been fun, it's been a whirlwind of joy and we're ready to rock and
0: roll. Thank you. Overseeing part of the development of this device has been the Director of Intensive Care at Western Health, Associate Professor Craig French. In a moment, we'll hear from him and then from Professor Jason Monty, who are both in the ICU at Footscree Hospital when they're speaking to us. We will hear how Jason, responds to seeing the device in use with COVID patients. But first, Craig French.
1: Well, the staff feel very safe and protected with the hood. The hood provides a physical barrier between the the patient with COVID and the staff member, such that if there was a inadvertent disconnection of some of our equipment, or if the patient was to cough or do something along those lines, and potentially spread COVID that is prevented from getting to the anywhere near the being staff member because of the hood and also not only with the physical protection the physical barrier we have the rapid exchange of air around the patient a hundred times an hour which then is filtered by a very very high efficiency filter removing virtually all the virus that's there.
4: Oh well it's fantastic to see these things in use um, When we first started building it, we were in the lab, it was hot and sweaty and (laughs) we were all just trying to knock something up that that might one day be of use. But to be able to see it actually in use and to help people and and potentially give them better outcomes is really fantastic. It's a really great feeling. From the beginning, we set out to, uh, one of our primary goals was to help the nurses feel safer at work, to protect them from transmission of the virus, obviously, but also to help them feel safer and be able to do their jobs without fear, which all of us should be able to do. Yeah, it's quite incredible that something so simple um, from the minds of engineers who don't regularly work in hospitals can actually turn out to be of great medical benefit. Yeah, I would say it is it is quite confronting to see what I'm seeing before me. And it it's um, I guess it's it's a bit of sadness that that we even need these and it brings home, it does bring home just how seriously we need to take this virus. Um, it's easy to forget when you're out in the community and you miss the usual luxuries that we have. It's easy to forget that this is the real threat of the virus. And um, as I said, it's a, it is a privilege to be able to, to try and help, but at the same time it's very confronting and quite saddening to see that these devices are actually needed. I'd be much happier if they weren't needed.
0: you've been listening to true western presented by western health thanks for listening go to the show notes if you'd like any further information and please be sure to share the episode with colleagues and friends